on abundant living. And so I want to just uh, quickly review the first two weeks and then we'll pick up with uh, this week today. Um, let's see if I can say the word without looking at it. Doxi, ribonucleic acid. That stands for DNA, as it is more commonly known. And I'm using that as an analogy here this morning. I've done this the last two weeks, too. Um, your DNA is coded into every molecule. And that, even though you're not aware of it or conscious of it, that, has, uh, that is the program of how God made you to live. Your physical characteristics, even your temperament, all, the, whole, the whole shebang is right there. And God has coded in a spiritual DNA, um, but it's not something we automatically experience, but we have to recognize those orders of creation, those decrees of God, those laws of God that are the recipe for abundant living. And so we're looking at the text here that I've been using all along. It's really a short text for a long three-part message. But these are the words of Jesus out of John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That thief would be our enemy, Satan. But I have come that you may have life and have that, have that more abundantly. And that word abundantly translates in excess, extravagant, fullness, overflowing. And, and that's how we all want to live our lives, with all of those blessings that God has for us. And so, uh, this is a quick review. You start out here, this, I'm racing right through this, just to bring you back up to speed uh, where we left off last time, the right priorities. Those are the laws of God. That, that gives us insight for living. Contentment, uh, despite the circumstances or things that break against us. Uh, Paul speaks about how he has learned that secret of contentment. That comes from spiritual insight and trusting the Lord. Essentialism. This is the disciplined pursuit of less. We're programmed to want more, 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 and always want just a little bit more. But you can have a full and abundant life when you learn to live more simply and just enjoy what God has provided for you. you um, uh, we are to prioritize people over things and live a healthy lifestyle. Body, mind, spirit, has to do with diet, exercise, keeping your brain active, all of those kinds of things. Then last time it was awakening to the spirit. And I said that if I was putting this message together uh, for the first time, I would have had that awakening to the spirit as the first part of part number one. Because we really can't do anything without the spirit's help and guidance within our lives. Become a visionary. Uh, I used the, you might have, if you were here, you remember the picture of Walt Disney that was there and what a great visionary he was and he attributed his great ideas to his congregational upbringing, his Christian faith and his practice of prayer. Have great expectations. Uh, believe God for big things and the best things in your life. 
have an attitude of gratitude, and learn self-control. Am I the only one here that has blown myself up more than once because I just didn't have good control? It might have been of something I said or did. Self-control is something we need to have asked the Lord to be helping us stay in touch with. So, breaking new ground this morning. Um, let me tell you about this guy that is pictured here. Now, he has some scary-looking people behind him. Uh, many of you here may not have ever heard of this man. Uh, he, lived, he lived a long life. Uh, he was born in 251 A.D., and he died in 356 A.D. He lived 105 years. I don't know his last name, but his first name, or the given name, was Anthony. And he's known as Anthony of Egypt, or Anthony of the Desert. And his story's an interesting one. He was born into an affluent Christian family in the city of Alexandria in Egypt. But as a youth, his parents died. And he and his sister were left behind. And Anthony dug more deeply into his faith as a young man. And when he was 18 years old, he was reading. They didn't even have full, complete Bibles in those days. But in some way, he was uh, meditating on the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus met the rich young ruler. And that rich young ruler asked, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, sell all, of you all that you have and give it to the poor. Unlike the rich young ruler who sadly nodded his head and walked away because he had so many things, Anthony took it to heart. He gave away the family fortune, gave it all away except to provide for his sister. So she would be provided for. He left Alexandria, went out into the desert, and really lived there essentially for the rest of his life, although he would come back to town. And uh, he, he, he entered uh, a lifestyle that none of us, certainly not me, would be capable of, of austerity and strict spiritual discipline. Um, he lived as a hermit for 40 years. Uh, he devoted himself to study, prayer, fasting. People would come out to visit Anthony, and they would hear. Now, I'm just telling you the story, what this actually was. I don't know. They would hear him battling demons in abandoned towns and buildings. But he would always overcome those battles. Now the reason why I'm telling you about Anthony and when I uh, mention what he f became the father of, some of you are going to think, oh, that, that doesn't sound so good. But he is credited as the father of the monastic movement, uh, which became very prominent in the early years of Christianity and in the early Middle Ages. Um, it was his spiritual discipline that came to be admired 
Some of the early church fathers, Athanasius, for instance, you may not have ever heard of him, but uh, he was one of the most respected and renowned church fathers of the early church, uh, came to build a close relationship, although he saw him rarely, with Anthony. This is interesting. Constantine, the first Christian emperor of Rome, lived across the Mediterranean. But the stories about the spirituality and the insight and the, and, and the writings of Anthony of the Desert that became just legend in, in the world of that day came to the attention of Constantine. And Constantine, who had all of the struggles that going along with being an emperor, which I'll never know anything about, probably not any of you either, actually sent a letter to Anthony asking him to please pray for him because he understood the, the, the power of the prayers of Anthony. And that monastic communities, and it spread throughout Europe that he began... That really, became, that really became the cities on the hill in the, uh, years, uh, the late years of the Roman Empire and uh, when, with the fledgling church was there. Those monks dedicated themselves to study. They dedicated themselves to fasting, to prayer, to service for the communities. And they tried to model the Christian life in the way that it should be lived. And the reason why they built their monasteries on the hills is so the people living in the valley below could look up and see Christianity modeled as it was supposed to be. And so he's one of really the most influential people in the ages of early Christianity. Now I'm not asking us to move into the desert. We have more of the desert than we like sometimes here. But I just mentioned Anthony of... Uh, Egypt as a model, one of the early models for this self-discipline. He was following what he felt Jesus would have him do. And think about Jesus for a moment. He would go out into the wilderness for 40 days of his temptation. There was fasting. There was prayer. There were battles with the enemy, Satan, that was there. And one of these stopping points on the road to abundant living for all of us is learning to recognize and practice spiritual disciplines in our life. Now I could go on with lists of these. I've just got six of them listed here. But before we get there, here's the scripture. This is the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But the, on, only, the only one who gets the prize, only one gets the prize, excuse me, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have uh, preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Right there, the Apostle Paul is talking about the discipline and the training that he undergoes 
to attain the fulfillment of the calling and the potential and the plan and the purpose that God has for him. So, the first of the last five of these insights for living the abundant life is spiritual discipline. There's two kinds of discipline that we'll look at here. And the list could go on and on. There was a... uh, Christian writer, he, he just recently passed away. I don't know if any of you have ever heard the name Dallas Willard. He became uh, quite a well-known writer on Christian spirituality. In his, uh, for much of his career, he was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. But he left that to pursue full-time uh, his spiritual writings and speaking. And um, he wrote a book. Spiritual disciplines, and I lifted these two headings from uh, one of the, the pages of that book. There are disciplines of engagement. These are things that we do, we act on, we participate in. And he's listed three, I've listed three of them here. Prayer, daily prayer. How many of you, and I hope it's all of you, because I hope you all have an active daily prayer life, But how many of you have become so reliant on your prayer life for insight, guidance, help, strength, that if circumstances arise where where you don't pray for a few days, you feel the difference within yourself? Is there anybody, you know what I'm talking about? And this is a, a discipline of engagement we need to engage in ourselves. Study. Were we studying the Bible, of course. But I think we're studying the Christian faith. I think good Christian books, spiritual books. Study is another of these disciplines. And a third one I have here is fellowship. That's really what we're doing right now. I'm thinking of the the discipline of being an active, consistent part of a body of believers. Where there's fellowship that's a part of it, there's worship, there is encounters with one another. Um, these, are, these are disciplines, just three. I mean, we could go on and on. But there are disciplines, Alice Willard listed them as disciplines of abstinence. These are disciplines of things that we, it's not what we do necessarily as what we don't do. Uh, Solitude. I learned this a number of years ago when I was pastoring here before. Very busy church where I was pastoring and I would take three weeks and I'd go to this little place we have in Oregon. You've heard me talk about it before. I'd be there alone for three weeks. And the first two or three days I was there, I thought, what am I doing here? I'm homesick. I want to go back home. But after a period of time of just solitude, I'd be walking along the beach or I might be reading a book or... things begin to speak into my mind and heart because in the solitude of the moment I would begin to sense things. The whisper of the Spirit. One of the reasons why I was there is I was trying to uh, lay out a plan for preaching and teaching for the next few months when I would come back to the church. And, and, And things would just fall into place. But it wouldn't have happened If I was surrounding myself with kids and people and church activities, solitude. A second thing is fasting. 
I'm fasting right now for a couple of things. One day a week, tomorrow, is my fast day. This was something that uh, Jesus did. We've been taught to do it. This is, um, maybe, maybe it would be good for you to start fasting on Monday and Tuesday of this week because you sure won't be doing it on Thursday. <laughs> but, but this is a, a, a purpose you have of prayerfulness. And it's a person close to me that I'm concerned about their spiritual condition right now. And every time throughout the day where I just am tempted to go to the refrigerator and see what's there or I feel one of those hunger pangs, it reminds me of this person that I am fasting for. And as I, as I sense that hunger, there's a prayer that I send up. I did this, in fact, I intended to bring this with me. My oldest son, I think I've mentioned him before, uh, he was um, an aviator in the Army uh, and then the Air Force uh, for 20 years. And the first number of those years, he was an Apache pilot and um, he was involved in five wars. I would have never let him go into the Army uh, and go to West Point and do all that stuff because he asked me, he told me not long ago, he said, Dad, if you, he, I was going to go to the University of Chicago on a baseball scholarship. But you said, I better think twice before I turn down that appointment to the military academy. He said, when you said that, that's what I did. Because we were in a time of peace then. <laughs> Little did I know that wars would break out. Okay? But the point of what I'm saying here is, is... Uh, there were some scares that he had and there was a time where we thought he might have got shot down and one year, 13 of his friends were killed. And so I got a yellow ribbon. Remember, what was his name? Tony Orlando, tie a yellow ribbon to the old oak tree. And I've still got it hanging up in my, in my hall there with a picture that he gave me of the Apache helicopter he was flying those years. And I had that always in a prominent place and on Mondays, I fast for all that time, and I, I, I can't prove it, but I do believe that those prayers are part of the reason why the Lord brought him through that, see? And I'm just encouraging you to practice that discipline of fasting. Um, start with lunch, just one meal, or dinner. But that is an important spiritual discipline that God honors in our lives. And then there's sacrifice. Take up your cross and follow Him. Where there's something that hurts because it's something we want or need. There was a story of someone in um, uh, Las Vegas when we were building our new church building, and we were, a sm we were bigger than this, but we were a small congregation, and we were buying a piece of property cash in 18 months for $150,000. Don't you wish you get two and a half acres for $150,000 now? That was in about 1992 or somewhere along there. And this one construction worker in, in the, uh, he was a businessman. He had his own construction business. It was a framing business at the time, I believe. And out of the blue, he came up to me and said, uh, no, he didn't tell me he was going to do this, but there was a check that showed up for $60,000. Well, I was impressed. 
and praising the Lord for it. It was about six months later that I was in the car riding somewhere with him. And he said, um, do you remember that check for $60,000 that showed up in the offering? And, oh, no, let me see. Do I remember? Oh, yes, it's coming. T- of course I remembered that. You see? He said, I just want you to know that the Lord spoke to me about giving that check. He said, this was a hard time in my business. And I want you to know that it was with great pain that I gave this, and it was a sacrifice. And I never regret doing it. He said, I just want to tell you that we just closed the books on this year. And this year has turned out to be by far the biggest year we've ever had in our business. Now, I'm not saying God will always reward a sacrifice like that financially, but sacrifice is a discipline as well. So, just understand that on this pathway to abundant living, there are these disciplines. The discipline of service. I knew a a woman who was a missionary who left her uh, fiancé and she sacrificed marriage and children, took a vow of chastity, and lived her whole life pioneering an orphanage in India. Now the things God asks you to do may not be as dramatic as some of the things I've just mentioned, but all of these things are important. Uh, So don't overlook the spiritual disciplines as we move towards the abundant life. Faith. Now here's the verse that goes with this. Now I'm going to ask you on your own time, because we don't have time to do all of this, to read this entire 11th chapter. It's the great faith chapter of Scripture. But the first two verses read this way. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is not something, and many people understand faith as just a hope on a wing and a prayer, or a wish. No, faith is not something that is any less real or certain than something that is scientifically verifiable. But faith is another pathway to truth It's kind of, by faith, an extrasensory perception. It's something that stirs in our heart. Now we move on here with faith. How faith awakens. And you'll understand here in just a moment why I put this lady leaping uh, here in a moment. But how faith awakens in our life. There are some things that are vitally important, that are not accessible through ordinary means, through reason, or through technology, or through science, that money can't buy. It's a whole other realm of reality that is accessible through no other means than by faith. My favorite philosopher, 
was a Dane. He lived in the middle of the 19th century. Maybe nobody here has ever even heard of him, but his name was Soren Kierkegaard. Anybody here ever heard of Kierkegaard? I didn't think so, but anyway. He always considered himself a teacher in Christianity, but he was always upsetting the apple cart with how he was challenging the church of his day. And he wrote one of his books and was attack upon Christendom. Well, that's not a good way to uh, win friends and influence people in Copenhagen uh, when everybody was a member of the church. Uh, he was so despised when he left that for years no one would name their son Soren anymore. But he, he, he has the most penetrating insight into, he's a philosopher, but one of his books is entitled Sickness Unto Death. And in this, he says, you're never going to awaken to new life that is different from what you have until you experience a sickness unto death with where you are and where it's getting you now. That disturbance within us, that lack of Fulfillment, that frustration, that emptiness, that longing is a sickness unto death. And that's one of the first steps in the awakening to faith. The second one is hearing the Spirit's whisper. It's nothing you can see. It's nothing you can prove. But it's something you begin to sense within. Now, there is a, I'm not talking about a physical heart exam here, but there is a spiritual heart exam. Before you jump into that faith, you've got to examine what's going on inside that is creating this restlessness within you. I mean, there have been lots of times where for the moment, I felt like this is that and I need to take hold of it. But if I give myself a little time and take a uh, self-critical look inside, I might see that my motives weren't what they appeared to be at first. So you're testing this spirit that is there. Then you have to encounter and conquer doubt. Really, a step of faith is taken in defiance of doubt. I love the, I love the um, altar call song of the old Billy Graham crusades, Just As I Am. And in that, in that invitation song, with many a conflict, many a doubt, Jesus, I come. You don't have to have everything figured out. That's not how faith works. But you've got to overcome and encounter those doubts. The next thing is risk is always required. Because it's something you can't see or prove or verify empirically. Risk is required. I wonder if there wasn't a battle with doubt on some level in the mind of Jesus of Nazareth when he hung on the cross 
and no one has ever fully understood or explained what he was feeling when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there was the human side that was there. Risk is taken. But then, and this is why we have this lady jumping across the screen right now. There is the leap. It's the leap of faith. At some point, you say, Lord, I trust you. I've done everything I can. No, to do my own due diligence here. But here I go. And it is a leap of faith. And then there is the payoff that comes after that. I've learned in my own life that I, I wish in the flesh that the Lord would just let me see a little more clearly before I step off the edge. But I've learned to use the analogy of driving out here on Sundays, uh, that hour drive from Vegas. The Lord doesn't show me as I'm looking through the windshield ahead. But as I look in the rearview mirror after I've passed through and I have taken these steps in my own heart before I took that leap, there it was. Thank you, Lord, that I had the courage to take that step of faith. Now, this might apply to a career decision for you. This might reply, uh, apply to something other than the decision to take the leap of faith and accept Christ. Probably all of us here have already done that. But there are still leaps of faith that we have to take. And there is not access to the other side of what faith delivers until you exercise the faith. You can't scientifically or logically prove it or explain it because there's a certain range of things that are only accessible by faith. Third thing, grace and forgiveness. I link these two together because uh, they're not quite synonyms of each other, but they both are, are very closely linked. And of course we know uh, that the Master himself, Jesus, is the one that admonishes us to ask for forgiveness. And here's verse of Scripture out of Ephesians. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness is an unnatural act. Isn't it? Forgiveness is counterintuitive. We have been built in such a way and our fallen human nature contributes to this that we want to get even. We want payback. But that's not the way to live fullness of life. As long as you are unforgiving, you are plagued by the bitterness and the anger and the resentment. And how many of you have been perfectly happy and fulfilled and are living abundantly when you're filled with bitterness and anger and a desire to get revenge? Doesn't work, does it? 
So if you want to live an abundant life, peace, where there's reconciliation, you can't wait for them to take the first step. But you've got to have a forgiving heart yourself. Now, this is the distinctive, standalone, unique Christian doctrine. I have up here some of the symbols of some of the other belief systems in the world today. Down there in the left-hand side is the Star of David. We're familiar with that. There was a good friend of mine who is very active in the educational community in Las Vegas. This has been a number of years ago. And when uh, we were taking some graduate classes together at, at UNLV, and we would have these conversations. And we were talking about our, uh, our faiths. And uh, I, I said to her, I said, you know, uh, Judaism has grace in it. She said, no, it's not a religion about grace. It's about law. And that is, that is the nature and the strength of the Jewish faith. There's nothing wrong with law. It's how we live together without killing each other. Or you can go to Islam. And I've talked to some Islamic people that, uh, there, there's, I've read through the Koran, I taught a class on Islam once, and, and there's some nice things that Muhammad said. But never is the sword very far from the side of the Islamic faith. And it has been that way since the days of Muhammad himself. If you look at the religions of the East, I've dabbled in Buddhism, not practicing it, although there was a time when I thought I might want to become a Buddhist for about six minutes, I don't know. But um, uh, it denies the reality of the objective world around us. The whole goal is to escape earthly existence and get caught up in the spiritual realm. Or we could think of the secularists today who have deified themselves as their own God. And they are practicing and acknowledging agnostics and atheists. They have come to believe in the power of the scientific method of artificial intelligence. They actually believe through their own sheer act of the will and their great knowledge. They can change the climate of the planet. Christianity. I mean, there are many truths to Christianity, but the one cardinal truth that is not in any one of these other worldviews or religious systems is grace and forgiveness. But I'm telling you, you're going to be plagued by anger and resentment and unhappiness until you can learn the power of forgiveness. Now, do you have any trouble Wanting God to forgive you? Not so much. So why do you think God should expect any less from you than what he's extended to you? Grace and forgiveness. Now, I'm sure, there's not a lot of us here, but I'm sure that there's some, this is not a word from the Spirit, this is just common knowledge. You're sitting here today 
and there's somebody and they're coming to your mind right now that you haven't forgiven. You're not going to be liberated until you exercise and it takes an act of the will, it takes the help of the Spirit until you exercise that discipline that is aided by the Spirit of forgiveness. Let God take care of them. But don't let them plague you any longer. A fourth one is the principle of generosity. Your candle loses nothing when it lights another. And there's a couple passages of scripture here. Deuteronomy 15.10 Give generously without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in everything you put your hand to. And another one. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. And the reason why I had that passage in uh, Corinthians locked and loaded and ready to fly this morning when we did the offering was I had that one on here before, but it's a longer passage of Scripture, and so I deleted it yesterday. Because I thought, well, you know... But then the Lord gave me a chance to read it over the offering. And I want to encourage you to read that passage in um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, where the Apostle Paul is talking about generosity. And he's doing it in the context of, uh, there's three T's where we're supposed to be generous. There is generosity with your time. Generosity with your talent. And generosity with your treasure. And Paul is talking primarily about the offering in that passage in Corinthians. That's your treasure. And a couple of things he says there, and and I read them this morning. Don't give grudgingly. You know, if, if you're giving with a chip on your shoulder... Just keep it, honestly. God does not need your money. He's looking for a way to bless you. And you know, all the way back to Cain and Abel, this is just generation out of the Garden of Eden. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because God accepted Abel's offering with a glad heart, but not Cain's. And so Cain killed his brother. The principle of generosity and giving is as old as humanity. We could go, I could throw on a lot of passage of scripture to make that point. But lighting the candle of generosity, here are some things that you need to do And learning to be generous. Take inventory. Don't just give mindlessly. Commit what you have 
to the Lord. Everything you have, your health, your time, your talent, your treasure, commit what you have to the Lord. Manage well the resources you have. Let's take treasure as an example here. Um, don't run up your credit card debt paying 30% interest on your credit card. Don't buy impulsively. Spend foolishly. And then expect the Lord to bless you financially. See? We've got to be careful and responsible, whether it's our time, whether it's our talent, or whether it's our treasure. Always be looking for ways to be a blessing to someone else. There was a man in my church, this was back in Santa Cruz years ago. Uh, Steve Blackwell is his name. I think he's still alive. And he had uh, a real setback in his business. And he came to me one time and he said, Pastor Stan, he said, I just don't have the money to tithe right now. And he said, but I, and he, he was a skilled craftsman uh, with his hands. And he said, but there are some things that need to be done around the church. And until I get back on my feet, could I just come and do these projects around the church as a tithe of my time? And I think God honored that and blessed that. Then there is this leap of faith again. You've got to trust the Lord. That he's going to perform. Let's talk about treasure here again now. I know nothing about any of your giving habits. I just ride in, preach, and go home. Okay? So I have no axe to grind here with anybody. But um, if you want to be blessed, in that verse that I read over the offering, you will be blessed in every way. There was a time early in my life when I, I, I learned this. Uh, I was back in graduate school on the East Coast, and uh, we were as poor as a church mouse, church mice, my family. And I would work all summer. I had a little painting company I started. That was a one-man gang. I'd paint houses during the summer. And I remember I put the uh, ad in the, in the uh, local newspaper, uh, seminarian because the seminary was kind of the darlings of the town where we lived seminarian with painting experience available for reasonable rates and I would put that in about April or so and I would be book solid through the summer but I had to put that money in savings to get us through the nine months of the school year to be able to pay our bills and there was one time and boy it got cold back there on the East Coast and we had to pay our heating bill. And the bill came due. It was subsidized student housing, but we still had to pay it. And all we had was $40 left. So I told my wife, being the great man of faith that I was, I think we should pay the heating bill first and trust God to supply for the tithe. And my wife said, you're wrong. We better pay our tithes first. And then the Lord will provide. So, we did it her way. And you know, out of the blue, 
A week later, a letter came in the mail with a check for $40 in it, saying, I don't know why I sent this. It was from somebody we knew from here in Las Vegas. We were clear back on the East Coast. But I just felt impressed that I should write you this check. Isn't that an amazing thing? And I could tell other stories about that. And if you want the blessing of God, don't shortchange him. Because he will bless that area of faithfulness in your life. Last thing is create your legacy. This was when I was back on the East Coast. It was back in New Jersey, one of the original 13 colonies. And not for any uh, morbid reasons or anything like that, but I used to like, like to walk through some of the old cemeteries and just read the epitaphs on them. And I, I believe this tombstone that I'm about to tell you about, uh, I, I believe it was dated somewhere around 1746. I mean, it was, it was, it was in the 18th century, the 1700s. And if I remember right, at the top of that, and it was very common in some of these old tombstones, there was a skull with crossbones through it. But this epitaph was written, I think I was about 25 or 26 when I came across this, but it arrested me so much, I've never forgotten it. And it's here on the right. Attend, young man, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon will be. Prepare, for you must follow me. I've never forgotten it. Okay. And legacy is an important part of the abundant life. We want to live fullness of life here, but what we want, what we do, to contribute to the betterment of others and we want to be remembered for the good things we have done and the difference we have made. There's a sermon I preach sometimes, and, and I, I, I kind of, some I've preached that I like, you know. And uh, it was the three S's in life. Uh, as you're getting up and going, it's all about the first F, survival. You've got to pay the rent. You've got to buy food. You've got to get established. Well, most of us neg uh, negotiate that one all right, one way or another. The second one is success. Uh, that might be measured in terms of getting a bigger house or getting a promotion or getting the respect of people we work with. Success. A lot of us achieve that in life too. But then the third one is significance. And I'm using that as a synonym here for legacy. We want there to be some legacy we leave behind. Something that will outlast us and be for the good of others. That really is what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and get account of what we have done with our life. And those good things are going to be our reward in eternity. It's not the ticket for salvation. That comes purely, uh, purely through grace. But it is the rewards that come in our life. And here's a scripture that goes with this. This is Paul. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's a purpose. There's a goal. There's something he expects of you. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There is something of significance, of purpose, of destiny that God wants you to achieve, and it's going to outlast you. So what kind of a legacy are you leaving? Now I want to introduce you to somebody that I just read about. I want you to meet, and Jean, you might be able to help me with this. She's Finnish, and in, uh, she has an umlaut over the A's. So I don't know whether her name is pronounced Paivi or um, Rasanan. Okay, so the German umlaut is not the same as the Finnish. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to pretend like I know how to pronounce her name. Paivi Ranasan. Ranasen. And I'm not going to read what's here. This is about her life. But let me tell you about Paivi. Uh, she's 63 years old now. And I just learned about her about two or three weeks ago. I was reading in a magazine about her. She's a medical doctor by training. Very good Christian, member of the Christian Democratic Party in Finland. She left her medical profession because she felt like the Lord called her into politics. Her husband is a Lutheran pastor there. But like so many of our countries in the West, we're leaning further, further uh, to what we're calling a new morality, which is just a new name for the old immorality. And so, as a member of the Christian Democratic Party, and for a time she was the chairperson of, the, of, of that uh, Christian Democratic Party in Finland, um, she took a stand on Christian, Bibli the Bible is her guide. She took a stand on speaking out for Christian marriage with sex within the bonds of marriage, and marriage between a man and a woman. And no sexual activity outside of marriage. And she speaks out in a loving way against the sin of those that are involved in the LGBTQ alphabet soup uh, lifestyle of alternate sexual practices. And for this, she was called out by the moderator of the Church of Finland because for taking this stand and making this statement, and I believe it was what we would call our Attorney General, uh, brought legal charges against her against, of, of, of committing a hate crime against people that are minorities. She was acquitted of it. But she refused to back down because she said, this is our traditional faith in Finland. This is who we are. And they brought charges against her again. 
during all of this time, she was re-elected to her seat in the parliament in Finland. But she waged a four-year legal battle. And earlier this week, when I was working on this message, I didn't know if I would have the outcome. But I looked it up on Thursday. On Wednesday, she won again. And the reason why she said she was taking this stand, and this has to do with legacy, she said, I believe if I win this case, not only will it have a positive influence on my country of Finland, but this will ripple through the other countries of Western Europe as well. And if I lose, that's going to ripple that way too. But she won. And so Paivi has a smile on her face today. She's took a stand. She's still a member of the parliament. And there's something more important than the fact that she has a medical profession or that she's a member of parliament. She's a mother of five, a grandmother of ten. Her husband's a Lutheran pastor who stood right behind her. So here's the question. I leave you with this. What will your legacy be? As you sit here right now, if the Lord calls your number and it's game over, will your tombstone look like the one I have pictured here on the wall? Or are there things that you're building on that are going to outlast you? It have nothing to do with your bank account or how nice the house is that you live or any of those sorts of things. But we are all put here for a purpose. Sometimes it's a very public purpose. Sometimes it's a very private one. It might be your family. It, I, mean, I don't know what it might be. But I just want to leave you with this thought and question this morning. What kind of a legacy are you building? Because that is something I think God wants us all to have a legacy as well. Something of significance, something of value, something that re uh, reaches outside just our own immediate self-interest. So I leave you with that. So, if you want to live the abundant life, over the last three weeks that I've been here, these are 15 things. I don't expect you to have to do all these things, and there's other things that are, not, that are there. But I do know that Lord wants us all to have life and have it more abundantly. And here's a list and some things to think about of how we can move towards that fullness of life that the Lord has for us. I'm going to close the service this way today. AJ, I think I'm going to ask you to put the... Um, lunch is waiting, I understand that. But this will be the close of the service today. You might want to come to the front. You might to want to turn around and kneel right where you are. But I'd like for you to take a few moments to just spend in the presence of the Lord. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you out of something out of this message or it might be something else. But let's don't hurry away. Let's just keep the sanctuary a prayer room for a few moments. 
If you don't want to pray, that's fine. You can just head on in there. But just spend a few moments in the presence of the Lord, opening your heart before Him. Let's make sure when we get up from our knees, when we're sitting, that we've got everything right where it should be in our lives so we can experience our life as the Lord meant it to be. So you're dismissed when your prayer time is over. But let's spend some time in prayer.